And summer is a very special season for all of us. It's the time when kids are out of school. It's the time when families take vacations. It's the time when the days are long and we have what feels like uh, more uh, leisure time. I'm Peter Creighton, and welcome to The Looking Glass, a program that examines the stories behind personal interests. And welcome to the mid-season finale of Season 2 of The Looking Glass Podcast. On this edition of the program, we will examine not one, but two areas of interest and how these two seemingly different areas interconnect and influence one another. Baseball is America's pastime. Like apple pie and jazz, baseball is something that most Americans identify as truly American. But baseball would never have reached this mythical level without the advent of radio in the 1920s. Radio helped bring the game into the homes of Americans and made players, coaches, and broadcasters a member of the family. My guest today is Dr. Jim Walker. Dr. Walker is a baseball enthusiast, media scholar, and former broadcasting professor of yours truly. As long as I've known him, Dr. Walker's passion for baseball and broadcasting has been contagious. In fact, some of my earliest assignments for him involved me exploring some aspect of Chicago Cubs culture. I call this entry, When Baseball Met Radio. My name is Jim Walker. I'm executive director of the International Association for Communication and Sport formerly uh, and professor emeritus at St. Xavier University. As I just mentioned, Dr. Walker was one of my professors in my communications program. He, along with a handful of other passionate individuals at St. Xavier University, encouraged me to find my voice in audio storytelling. But I've always been curious as to where Dr. Walker's passion first began. I think I had pretty strong memories of listening to my older brother's radio uh, from my bedroom when I was a pretty young child, probably five or six, particularly in the evening hours. He would listen later in the evening, uh, you know, sort of past 10 o'clock. And those were the days when um, in a small town, which is what I grew up in, there were a very limited number of radio stations. And our actual radio station went off the air at sunset. And so you listen to radio stations from uh, quite long distances, and he uh, in particular loved to listen to WLS in Chicago, which was a uh, rock and roll station at the time. And uh, a guy named Dick Biondi, who is still uh, doing some uh, radio uh, and was actually in the Chicago market again whenever I I moved here in the 1990s, amazingly long career, uh, he would listen to him and I would listen uh, through him until I fell asleep. Since this is a two-topic show... I naturally asked Dr. Walker how he first discovered baseball as well. I I didn't follow baseball real closely as a small child. Um, Probably my strongest memory of really getting involved in baseball would have been when I was about eight years old. And it came as an extension of the favorite place in the world to go to at the time, which was the local soda fountain uh, magazine stand, uh, what we would think of as a convenience store now, but uh, more focused on the soda fountain, which of course was an amazing attraction to any young child. And I would go in there and uh, I discovered the joy of buying baseball cards. And for at the time, I believe it was a nickel, 
you got a pack of five cards and some very stale chewing gum, which, you know, good luck if you ever wanted to actually get a bubble out of it. But it was a chance to uh, see players. And I, I really sort of learned about the game by looking at those cards. And I could also watch it on television. There was a weekly game at that time on CBS on uh, Saturday afternoon. And that was pretty much all we got, but uh, it was some exposure and then listening to it on the radio. And so 1959 would have been my first really uh, getting involved in in baseball and collecting those cards. And I still have a vivid memory of getting about 10 uh, cards, all for Leon Daddy Wags, who was got his nickname for having so many children. And for some reason, I always got him, but never got Mickey Mantle. I think a majority of all baseball fans can trace the beginnings of their love for the game to their baseball card collections. I, for one, share Dr. Walker's same pain for always getting one particular player's card all the time. Today, I feel that we, as a society, sometimes downplay the importance of radio. So I asked Dr. Walker how radio is able to capture the imagination of its listener. Well, I think... For me, living in a small town in an era where there was television, but we got one TV channel, radio was really your window to a larger world. Uh, And I think I was enchanted with the idea that you could listen to something that was happening so far away instantaneously that I could be listening and hearing news from Chicago or a traffic report or weather from uh, St. Louis or uh, something from New York City, all places at the time I had not, not visited nor even really thought about visiting. So it was almost like a, a, a geography tour of the United States to listen to radio. And that was a pretty vivid memory from uh, those days. I couldn't agree more. I think we often forget that radio is truly limitless as to where it can take its listeners. The only real limit is the person's imagination. But radio isn't the only thing that is magical in this conversation. For almost 200 years, baseball has captured our collective imagination. After all, it is called America's pastime for a reason. Uh, The game of baseball is rooted so much in American history, particularly the 19th century history, and uh, particularly the 19th century. And I think that as a result of that, it had a head start over a lot of sport uh, it's also identified, interestingly, with uh, rural America and small-town America. And I think particularly starting in the, in the 20th century, the, it became the sort of focal point of a lot of small-town life. And there was a lot of baseball, semi-pro baseball, little league baseball, and so forth played in small towns. And so I think that is part of the myth of baseball. In reality, the game was really an urban game mostly, uh, particularly in the 19th century. It started in New York and in New England and um, was played extensively there long before it really spread into the hinterlands of of America. But I think that gives it a a sort of a head start. And then the other thing I think that's really special about baseball that we forget is such an obvious thing. It is the summer game. And summer is a very special season for all of us. It's the time when kids are out of school. It's the time when families take vacations. It's the time when the days are long and we have what feels like uh, more uh, leisure time. 
Uh, it's also the time when we tend to watch a little less of other kinds of television, um, and we pay attention to things or medium that we can do on the move in the car or uh, elsewhere, and, and radio obviously fits with that. So I think I think those are reasons why uh, the game is uh, is so special in the American consciousness. We've established that both radio and baseball have magical elements to them. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm curious as to how two totally different entities are able to work so well together. Well, it, it's, a, it's a game where if you're watching it in real time, there's a lot of gaps. I think uh, one of the joys of baseball is the fact that there are spaces in it, and I think it makes it a great social outing to go to a game with a friend, or if you're by yourself to score the game, uh, you have time to do that. Lots of other sports, uh, you could argue their strength is their rapid action, their sort of continuous action like hockey and basketball. But baseball has those leisurely moments, those inning breaks that come as a routine. And I think that works very well on radio, too, because it's a little bit more leisurely medium. And it's kind of a, it's always been, a since the age of television, a background medium. So it fits very nicely, uh, the sport fits very well with that. The other thing is that um, because there are downtimes, it gives the opportunity for announcers to really practice the art of conversation. And their ability to describe very rapidly what happens in the moment is uh, you know, truly uh, amazing to me. But they also have to be very, very skilled conversationalists to uh, fill the gaps in time when action isn't uh, great. And also the development of a rapport between typically uh, a play-by-play announcer and a color analyst that becomes really important in sustaining interest over a long time. And the magical quality, and this would, of course, apply to television as well as, uh, as and, and the, attending the game itself as well as radio, but baseball is the daily sport. I think one of the things that really distinguishes it from uh, virtually every other sport is that once the season starts, it's an immersion in something where the peaks uh, aren't great some of the times. They are in the playoffs, and there are magical games, no hitters, perfect games, uh, four home run games, special sorts of events. But really, it's a day-in, day-out kind of activity, and the players call it the grind because it is. But I think what's wonderful about that is it's every day there's something new. Uh, Whatever happened yesterday, as bad as it was or as great as it was, your fortunes can change in 24 hours. And uh, I think radio is a great medium to capture that, and, and I think that's one of the reasons that baseball works as well as it does on the radio. You could almost say that baseball and radio fit together like a hand into a glove. Yes, pun intended. But that's an interesting point that Dr. Walker made. The leisurely pace of baseball and the conversational broadcasting style create a welcoming environment for all to listen. As a scholar in broadcasting and as a baseball enthusiast, I asked Dr. Walker how he thinks radio and baseball have impacted one another. Well, let's see. Baseball-shaped radio probably the most dramatic way possible in that it helped spread radio in, uh, in its formative period in the early 1920s. There was very, very little coverage of regular season games in the 1920s, until you get to the, the latter part of the decade. The early 20s, even though radio was growing, there were very few regular season games covered. The Chicago was an exception, and they, they don't really start doing it until the mid-1920s. But the World Series started being covered in 1921, and by 1923 or 24, 
was one of the most important events on radio. So baseball, along with prize fights, it wasn't just baseball, and to some extent college football, were uh, very, very important in, dis- in, in developing an audience for radio. And uh, initially, that, that audience would be people listening, sound speaker in a, you know, in place on top of a car or in a bar or in a restaurant or something like that or in a hotel lobby. Uh, but gradually, everyone wanted to have their own radio. And so the biggest impact that baseball had on radio was to help really grow the medium in its formative decade, the 1920s. Uh, the other side of that, what is the effect of radio on baseball, I would go back to something I said earlier, that the codification of the team's ownership of broadcast rights, which is based on a court case in Pittsburgh in the 1930s, that basically established very clearly that uh, in, the lo- in the law that the teams owned their broadcast rights and those could not be pirated by other people, um, and that the teams had the right to sell and profit from those rights. That essentially set in, in, in stone the, the, the legal legalities that allow teams to exploit first radio, then television, and then very, very um, imaginatively and with great success starting in the 2000s, the Internet. And this has made uh, baseball an incredibly profitable business. The value of franchises are just uh, astronomical in their, in their growth curve. Uh, even if the year-in, year-out profits go up and down because of attendance variation and so forth, these are very, very profitable things, and the long-term profitability is, um, is, is set in stone. And that's primarily because radio uh, pioneered that legal basis in the 1930s. So I think that's its most profound effect on, uh, on the game of baseball. Dr. Walker's passion for baseball and radio led him to write a book about the two. It's called Crack of the Bat, A History of Baseball on the Radio, and it explores this very topic. Here, Dr. Walker explains how this project first came about. Well, uh, the inspiration was pretty simple. I, uh, I had to submit a sabbatical application, and uh, when one does that, one has to have a, a project of some magnitude. So um, part of the reason that I decided to do this particular book was to have a project that was worthy of uh, a sabbatical, and St. Xavier University was uh, very gracious to grant that to me. And and I, I was able to take that time to do the research and most of the writing for the most of the research and most of the writing for the book. So that was critical. But the real reason I did this book is it was a follow-up to an earlier book that a colleague of mine, Rob Bellamy at Duquesne University, and I did called uh, Centerfield Shot: A History of Baseball and Television. So uh, I guess we wanted to do the prequel uh, to that book and talk about uh, radio. Uh, but I, we, we, we both are baseball enthusiasts and media scholars, and so it's kind of natural to combine the two. And this was a natural extension of, uh, of the first project and uh, always enjoyed radio as well. And uh, so that subject matter drew me. With our conversation coming to a close, I wanted to take a 180-degree turn in our conversation. I wanted to ask Dr. Walker about storytelling because I'm really interested in storytelling. Almost 100 years ago, baseball and radio revolutionized storytelling together. With the digital revolution in full swing, I was curious as to his take on the evolution of storytelling. Well, 
I think what's what's so wonderful about um, the media is that it's no longer has to be professionalized. Uh, literally, everyone's walking around with a smartphone now. Virtually everyone in their pocket that's capable of doing video recording and audio recording, and it's really just a matter of using it to do it. In fact, the you know the software is uh, the app is usually built into the phone. If not, it's very easy to download a free one to record audio. And so, uh, real simply, I would encourage any, particularly any younger person, but this would be true of anyone middle-aged, anyone who's got older family members or even contemporaries, um, to sit down and every once in a while, maybe at a family event or something like that, pull people aside, sit them down, and just just record, um, just ask them questions. The kinds of things, you know, grand, grandfather, what was it like, you know, in, in a particular time? In my generation, it would be asking my father about what happened to him in the Second World War and the Great Depression, because those were the formative events of his life. For other people, it might be, you know, what happened in 9-11 or how they reacted to that. It might be um, the election of Barack Obama as the first African-American president. But there are things that, that you could talk about as well as family events or even just record some great family stories, the ones that people tell all of the time every year, but get them down. Uh, I think that, that that kind of oral personal family, oral history that you can literally put on your phone and then upload to uh, the cloud somewhere so that you, you know, have it in, in some form, you can keep it. You may not listen to it for years, but I'll guarantee you um, at some point those folks will not be with you anymore. Unfortunately, that's the nature of existence. And you'll treasure being, being able to hear them tell that story, and it's so easy to do it now. You, know, you don't even have to have a tape recorder in your phone. Uh, it's on your iPad. So do that. It's just a matter of getting them to... Uh, to sit down. I did a little of that with my father, um, and I, you know, I'm so happy that I did before he passed on many years ago. And uh, you know, I, we got down a few stories, the things that I knew I'd heard many times, but I wanted to get them down in his voice. And you can do that with video if you want, but I think the audio form works very, very well for that. And uh, treat it as your own sort of uh, family history. But I, I really think that um, there's a great opportunity out there for people to uh, to build their own audio collections, not in the form of a podcast necessarily or anything that formal, but just little clips that they uh, that they can treasure in future years. What a perfect conclusion to this mid-season finale of the Looking Glass podcast. If you're an aspiring storyteller, I would like to encourage you to experiment because of smartphones we all essentially have a portable recorder on us at all times. Let's take the time to record our family stories for future generations to hear and experiment as to how we can present our stories to a larger audience. There's a storyteller in all of us. Don't be afraid to push your limits. This edition of The Looking Glass was written, recorded, and edited by Peter Creighton. The Looking Glass podcast was created by Stephen Anderson and me, Peter Creighton. A special thanks goes out to Dr. Jim Walker. If you enjoyed this conversation and want to hear more, Dr. Walker has his own baseball podcast. It's called The Baseball Buffet. Search The Baseball Buffet on SoundCloud today. His book, The Crack of the Bat, A History of Baseball on the Radio, is available on Amazon now. For more information on the Looking Glass podcast, please visit our SoundCloud account at soundcloud.com slash lookingglasspodcast. 
You can also email the show at thelookingglasspodcast at gmail.com. Look for new episodes to premiere in October 2017. Until then, I'm Peter Creighton, and cheers. Cheers.